Hi everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts from Property Apprentice. Join me today for the Week in Review where I'll talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Topics for this week, first off the rank, we've got the Reserve Bankers talking a 20% house price fall. What does that mean from stuff on the 22nd of August? Second topic, one roof on the 20th of August. Housing shortage means Kayanga Ora is renting thousands of private homes a year. Third topic, one roof, 21st of August, warning, a lot of New Zealand's new homes are out of date and not fit for purpose. Topic number four, one roof, 22nd of August, mortgagee pain, the jury's out on predictions of forced sales. Fifth topic, landlords.co.nz on the 24th of August, from famine to feast. So we'll start off with the article from Stuff on the 22nd of August. The Reserve Bank is talking a 20% house price fall. What does that mean? The Reserve Bank's now forecasting prices to potentially fall 20% from their peak and says that this will bring prices back to sustainable levels. Lower prices will benefit those unable to purchase property as well as contribute to the long-term health of the economy. There have been 24,000 properties sold during the final quarter of 2021 when the market was at its peak. Those who bought during this period may face losses in value in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. About 6,100 of those sales were first-home buyers, and many of them are facing negative equity, which means that they'll pay more on their mortgage than their homes are worth. CoreLogic has created estimates of the dollar value wiped off the average home and the percentage of first-home buyers who will be left in negative equity as a result. Now, just before I read through the rest of it, I just want to point out that you don't actually lose equity unless you sell. Okay, so for those first-home buyers, chances are they're not planning on selling in the short term anyway, so any drop in value in their property is not going to be any issue for them at all as long as they keep paying their mortgage. If prices fall 10%, CoreLogic Head of Research Nick Goodall says that a 10% fall from the peak will equate to roughly $105,600 being wiped off the average property. Roughly 5.9% of first-home buyers who bought near the peak of the market will be in negative equity, and according to some measures, a 10% fall has already happened. The Real Estate Institute of New Zealand's monthly housing price index records a national fall of 10.8% at the end of July from the peak. And that's the index that we tend to look at rather than medians or averages. On the other hand, CoreLogic's house price index, which is released quarterly, recorded national price falls of 5.5% from the peak to the end of June. Now, just to clarify the difference, uh, my understanding is that CoreLogic's house price index is um, it's measured from, from the settlement date as opposed to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, which is, which is measured from the unconditional date. So Real Estate Institute is potentially a bit more up-to-date because sometimes settlements can, can be, you know, three months after unconditional date, for example. If prices fall 15%, about $158,400 will be wiped off the average house price. 13.6% of first-home buyers who bought at the peak of the market will fall into negative equity. If prices fall 20%, 
This will wipe off $211,200 from the average New Zealand house price and a total of 27.7% of first-home buyers will be experiencing negative equity. CoreLogic's measure for the rates of negative equity is simplistic. It assumes that first-home buyers had a 20% deposit and is calculated by comparing purchase prices to how much homes are worth in various scenarios. The model also assumes that no principal has been paid back. The rates of negative equity by region will depend on how much house prices fall in those regions. Wellington, Auckland, Waikato and Gisborne are currently seeing first-home buyers in negative equity. Wellington continues to have the greatest proportion, with 38% of first-home buyers who bought during the last three months of 2021 now potentially in negative equity. Goodall's advice is for borrowers to be mindful of their debt levels in comparison to the market value of their property. But as I said earlier, if they intend to hold on to their home for the long term, it doesn't really matter as long as they remain consistent with their repayments. Second topic for this week in review, we've got from One Roof on the 20th of August. Housing shortage means Kayanga Ora is renting thousands of private homes a year. Guaranteed rent and tax savings are two incentives convincing landlords to work with Kayanga Ora. Property and insurance experts believe that landlords who are desperate to offset their rising costs will benefit from turning their private rentals into public housing. Reports show that the government is specifically looking for newer four-bedroom home plus houses in main centres like Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch to cater for larger families. But experts warn that before landlords reach out to Kayanga Ora, they must explore their options, check whether they can get insurance, that's a big one, and decide how long they plan to hold the property before signing up. $54.9 million of Kayanga Ora's rental income comes from rental properties from external landlords. According to the Official Information Act, private landlords contribute to 3% of the government's public housing stock as it currently faces shortages across the country. Can't imagine why, with the changes that they've implemented over the last few years in government. Kayanga Ora currently rents 2,153 properties from private owners and 27 from community groups for, for customers as it continues to build new houses, revamp existing ones to make them warmer, drier and healthier and put homes in an area that has high demand for public housing but doesn't have any, or when it's leasing on behalf of another government agency or community group. The public housing provider requires a minimum of five years lease for new builds and new acquisitions, but has reduced the length required for existing properties and existing Kayangaora landlords. Kayangaora Director of Asset Services, Andrew Booker, said that Kayanga Ora prefers leasing newer homes built after 2010 that meet its specification and maintenance standards and are compliant with legislation such as the Healthy Homes Act. The organisation doesn't provide the amount of rent paid on each property, but a registered valuer determines the rent and the annual increases are based on the CPI or a flat percentage increase. So that's an interesting point to comment about actually because market rent might increase a lot more than CPI and uh, yeah or flat percentages so it just depends on what's happening in market conditions so sometimes if you're renting to Kayanga Ora you might actually fall behind market rent in those situations at the moment market rent 
almost across the board, but not everywhere, market rent is at a lower pace than inflation. So, um, yeah, so at the moment it could be beneficial in some areas, but uh, in other areas not so much. Property Brokers General Manager of Property Management, David Faulkner, said that there's pros and cons to leasing a property under Kayangaura, but he thinks it's a smart move for long-term landlords as they try to offset the rising interest rates and inflation. Under the next interest deductibility scheme, landlords who rent to public housing providers are exempt, which Faulkner estimates could reduce their tax bill by about $5,000 to $10,000, something those renting to private tenants will not be able to do soon. Faulkner said that one potential issue is the risk that comes with social housing tenants, but if Kayanga Ora guarantees to bring the place back to reasonable condition, the risks can be reasonably low. Of course, that depends on what they call reasonable condition and fair wear and tear. So, you know, you need to be aware of that also. It's also a wise strategy for landlords to work with Kayanga or if they plan to hold their property for around 10 to 15 years so they can fund their retirement, Faulkner said. Apart from guaranteed rent, another driver why some consider renting to Kayanga Ora is the high standard the houses are handed back in and the frequent inspections. That's an interesting comment. Umbrella Group Mortgage Advisor Sarah Hardigan said Kayanga Ora emphasises that public housing should be viewed as a long-term strategy. One of her clients has eight properties rented to Kayanga Ora who manages the process thereby taking away the hassle and the stress. Ray White Manico co-owner Tom Rawson said that Kayanga Ora has strict requirements for the types of property it rents. Do up properties that are neglected and are substandard will be rejected by the government. It's interesting to note that we've had clients that have had good experiences with Kayama Aura and social housing, and we've also had clients who've had really bad experiences. So my opinion on this is that it could very well depend on your risk profile and whether or not you're comfortable with the potential risks. Uh, so where are we up to? Now, Tom Tom Rawson said his agency sold between 6 and 12 properties a year that had existing leases in place to Kayanga Ora, and despite having a much smaller buyer pool due to only being suitable for investors, they still got snapped up. Rawson explained that people like the idea of guaranteed rental income and not worrying about dealing with tenants that'll leave every 6 or 12 months. Because Kayanga Ora paid market price and with a signed long-term agreement being in place, landlords didn't have to worry about missing out on any rent. However, Hamilton-based lodge real estate salesperson Blair Poynton has had a different experience selling properties with Kayanga Ora existing leases in place and said they can be harder to sell and can fetch less money. Investors who are solely looking at the numbers are more likely to buy properties with existing Kayanga Ora leases. Other issues that can crop up include getting insurance. Insurance Council of New Zealand spokesperson Christian Judge said it can be hard to get insurance for a property being used for social housing and insurers take into consideration whether it's being used by a long-term tenant or as emergency housing. It is challenging to create insurance policies when it isn't clear who's going in and out of the property within the year and who makes the call over whether damage is accidental or deliberate. So my understanding of things at the moment is that getting insurance is potentially the toughest part about renting to Kayanga Ora or um, social housing providers. 
If you want to learn more about the New Zealand property market and how to create some wealth through investing in property, join me at one of our free beginner's guide to property investment events available online or in person in our office in Ellerslie in Auckland. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. Our third topic for this week in review, one roof on the 21st of August, warning a lot of New Zealand's new homes are out of date and not fit for purpose. Some homes will be out of date as soon as they're finished. It's a scary headline. New Zealand Green Building Council Chief Executive Andrew Eagle said that while some new homes are made with future-proof features, many others are not designed to cope with climate change and intensification. When it comes to future-proofing, Eagles believes that it's better and cheaper to plan ahead than to retrofit a home. Future-proofing comes in a number of ways, including environmental aspects and ageing. This could mean creating wider hallways to make the home more accessible when its inhabitants get older, but the more pressing issues that need to be addressed are more regular droughts and heavier rainfall. There's also a phenomenon dubbed the urban heat island effect. This happens when building materials cause surroundings to heat up more than they would have if there was foliage. In the UK, hot temperatures are getting hotter because the heat is bouncing off glass and it's not being absorbed by trees and other natural elements. Addressing the urban heat island effect is more important than ever, with the intensification already being seen around our cities. More buildings were built closer together and there's also localised flooding events. Eagles is concerned that many homes don't take these issues into consideration, even when some measures could help and also lead to big savings that aren't part of the building code. One example is the two-year drought in Auckland. If people built homes according to Homestar, a tool that rates a home's performance and the environmental impact, it'd be easy to save 20% or more of their water use. Watercare wouldn't be spending billions of dollars to find new water sources or take water from the Waikato because there's water being saved every day. Another issue is flooding caused by runoff on hard surfaces without sustainable urban drainage. A solution would be to apply concrete that's permeable or to use green roofs on apartments and commercial buildings, for example. Future-proofing also means including energy efficiency measures and solar panels in homes. Eagle sees this as a priority as legislation will be made within the next five years to require new and existing homes to carry energy efficiency labels. This is something that's been mandatory across the EU since 2006. One positive observation he noticed is that people are becoming more interested in healthy housing since the pandemic. Pete Evans, a national director for Colliers, who specialises in new-built homes through to apartments, says many developers are looking to future-proof, from including smart home features to installing solar panels on the roofs of apartment buildings. He added that electrical vehicle charging is probably at the top of the list for all future builds, with more apartment builds planning for this. Most new terraces don't have electric charging, no carport or garage, which means that solutions are going to need to be found. Ongoing sustainability in the selection of materials is also something developers are looking at, so brick, metal and concrete over weatherboard for ease of maintenance and thermal qualities. Some Kayanga Aura developments, such as in Mount Roskill in Auckland, are modernising and regenerating suburbs with better parks and green spaces for the residents of more intensive housing. 
Fourth topic for this week on One Roof, 22nd of August, mortgagee pain. The jury's out on predictions of forced sales. A small number of properties all over the country have been listed as mortgagee sales, but agents who spoke to One Roof did not know the reason for sale or said that the reason was unrelated to financial stress. However, some agents warn that there will be some people feeling the pressure to pay back their loan who might not show up as forced sales until next year. Others don't expect mortgagee sales to happen, saying that lenders foreclose only as a last resort and people will do almost anything to keep their house. One roof figures show that there was a 15% lift in the number of properties listed as mortgagee sales between the first quarter of this year and the second, but the actual number of mortgagee listings is small and represents a tiny fraction of overall listings for the year. The mortgagee sale process takes time and banks and second-tier lenders often find ways for owners rather than to force them to sell. The whole process can take six months before the property gets listed. Mark Fitzgerald from Harcourt said that some people are now looking at refinancing who may run into trouble having fixed within the last couple of years when mortgage rates were so low. Banks working within the triple CFA regulations might not be able to lend or to lend as much to someone who's refinancing from a 2.5% interest rate to a much higher rate now. And the reason for that is that the banks are using higher test rates when they're calculating your affordability. Fitzgerald's past experience with mortgage sales have usually been because someone's income's decreased and that's affected their ability to meet the mortgage and high interest rates can feed into that as well. In Tauranga, Harcourt's agent Ben Cantley has a mortgagee sale listed in Mount Monganui. He can't disclose the reason for selling the renovated five-bedroom home in a prime location, but he thinks there could be cases ahead of people forced to sell. He noticed banks asking for appraisals, but said that this doesn't necessarily mean that the property's in trouble. While mortgagee sales generate a lot of interest, a forced sale doesn't mean it's a bargain. Sometimes the competition actually drives prices up. Patrick and Scott Limited from Professionals, Principal Andy Scott, has a four-bedroom property in Featherston listed. He doesn't know the circumstances behind the sale, but says it's targeted towards investors. Scott says he's hearing stories about some people that are struggling, but mortgagee sales might not happen until next year. In Wellington, where house prices have fallen substantially, Nikki Crookshank, principal of Tommy's, is yet to see any evidence of mortgagee sales and doesn't expect to. He thinks the hype is caused by banks stress-testing people, and since people have learned a lot from the GFC, they'll do their best to hold on to their house. Banks want to lend money, and if no one's borrowing, they're likely to hold their interest rates and take less profit, with some already cutting rates last week. Ray White's Chief Operating Officer, Daniel Coulson, doesn't think there'll be many forced sales either, saying that as of Wednesday, the company had just six properties listed as mortgagee sales out of over 4,500 listings. He agrees banks have been of a mind to help people through changed circumstances and have been stress-testing serviceability at higher rates, plus people have seen significant value increases in property over the past 18 to 24 months. This means people have options to downsize their home and downsize their mortgage. CoreLogic's latest pain and gain report states there haven't been fire sales, but it raises first home buyers who bought during the final quarter of last year when prices were at their peak as an area of concern if they get into a position where they need to sell.
But with unemployment still low and long-term growth expected to return, genuine forced sales remain few and far between with borrowers willing and able to ride out the downturn. My suggestions for you, if you're finding yourself in stress uh, paying the mortgage, speak to your mortgage advisor as early in the process as possible because uh, communicating with your bank during these times absolutely reduces the risk of you being forced into a situation that you don't want to be in. Okay. Fifth topic for this week, landlords.co.nz on the 24th of August from famine to feast. Kiwi Bank economists are predicting that the country's housing shortage will be gone within the next 12 months as housing supplies exceeded new housing demand over the past year. New Zealand's housing shortage shrank to an estimated 23,000 homes in the year to June from a revised 57,000 homes last year. Despite disruptions due to COVID and the lack of materials and manpower, 41,000 houses have been built, according to Stats New Zealand data. It's well short of the Reserve Bank's prediction that house prices will fall up to 20% from their peak. Reserve Bank Governor Adrian Orr says prices are now coming back to what the bank considers a sustainable level, and that's a good thing as it removes financial stability risk. Also, potentially, that could mean that the Reserve Bank could lift the LVR restrictions at some stage once they do consider it to be at a sustainable level. In its latest in a Kiwi publication, senior economist Jeremy Couchman says that it's by far the largest addition to the country's housing stock in the data going back to 1991. New housing demand has slowed as population growth has hit its lowest rate since the 1980s. To put the gain in homes into context, the peak of the construction boom in the mid-2000s only managed to create a net 30,000 homes. Looking at the 2018 census data, 41,700 homes is roughly the same as the number in the whole Southland region. Couchman says that seismic shifts in housing supply and demand drove down the housing shortage to an estimated 23,000 homes. Still large, but much lower than the 57,000 shortage estimated last year. He believes the shortage will disappear over the next year. The country is now predicted to start generating a surplus of housing over the coming years as projected building activity outstrips rising demand. However, Couchman warns that there's a lot of uncertainty around future building activity. The present housing market's not conducive for property developers and the lack of prospective buyers may mean that some projects will get delayed or cancelled. Couchman says forward indicators suggest that the COVID-era trends in housing supply and demand are about to change. With borders fully reopened, positive net migration next year should see demand rise. At the moment, we're definitely seeing negative net migration, but I certainly am not expecting us to get into an oversupply situation in most parts of the country at least. According to the bank's analysis, a growing surplus of houses is likely to generate a slow recovery in house prices, but that remains to be seen in my opinion. The Reserve Bank's aggressive interest rate hiking to tame multi-decade inflation has made credit conditions tighten dramatically. And Couchman anticipates that the cash rate will reach 4% by the end of the year. 
So, yeah, those are all interesting comments. My thoughts on this is that the Reserve Bank in aggressively increasing the interest rates, or OCR, is in order to help tame inflation. And uh, the side effect of that is that interest rates on mortgages have been increasing. However, interest rates are on the downturn almost across the board now. So, uh, you know, it will be interesting. I think also... The fact that there's still a lot of people that want to buy houses, they just can't at the moment because, you know, they've been locked out of lending from the changes to the triple CFA. If those rules relax a little bit further or when the lenders in New Zealand start feeling a bit more comfortable about the property market again, Certainly, if the Reserve Bank does lift the restrictions on the deposit amount that's required, that could you could find that there'll be some more um, buyers entering into the market again. My opinion is that this is a normal stage of the cycle. You know, building booms and slows down just the same as the property market does. So just remember that property investing is a long-term investment. Invest based on the fundamentals and hold on to those properties for the long term and you will increase your wealth for retirement. So if you want to learn more about the property market in New Zealand and my thoughts on that subject, bring your questions along to one of our free live training sessions. We hold them either online or in our office in Ellerslie, Auckland. So register at propertyapprentice.co.nz and I'll look forward to seeing you at one of those. Thanks for listening.